our relationship with God should grow. We should be less and he should be more day by day. Somewhere in the history of Christianity in this world, we've gotten the idea that we're the sinner, not God. And we see that happen every so often in five or six hundred years that that the, the body of Christ in the world, known as the church, drifts away from its moorings. And the time that they do that, there's always that moment at which they realize what has happened. And then we have what we refer to as a great awakening, a revival. But the reality is it's been a long time since we've had a revival, and we're drifting into a time that's very frightening. Voltaire put it this way. He said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and it seems like we've been trying to repay the favor since then. We try to make God in our image, but God's nothing like us. God loves us with a supreme love that's not manipulated by circumstances. He looks on us with all of our sin, with all of our frailties, with all of our, our continuing to walk away from Him. He still loves us. And that love in itself should change us and make us into who we need to be. One of the most amazing things about us is that as people we tend to get very attached to the world. We become like them. We want to fit in. We don't look like we've been left out. We want to be considered a part of the group, whatever the group is. But the reality is, God said, I want you to be different. Now, he doesn't mean different in the hairstyles that we have and the clothes we wear. Not at all. We're to be different in what moves us and changes us. We don't need to assimilate into this world. We need to become more like Christ. We need to be that beacon of hope to others through the storms of life that lets them know that we are anchored in a different place than they are anchored in. We're not to struggle and fight with the temptations of the world. We're to yield to Christ and to Him alone. We are told in Romans 12, 2, and I'd like to read this in the New Living Translation because I love the way it expresses the idea that we're not to fit in in the world. Listen to this. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. You see, you can't understand what God's will is for your life until you begin to follow Him and trust Him. And you can't understand the importance of that until you've yielded and He begins to change you. No, Christians should not behave like the world. We shouldn't have the passions of the world. We shouldn't crave for the things of this world. We shouldn't be out looking for fame and fortune and, and success. We're not to look for someone to really love us. God will bring the person that we need when we need them. He will bring the success He wants us to have. Or possibly, He'll use us to exalt His throne. God is not left on the lurch when we go through suffering. No, 
if we conduct ourselves in a faithful manner of trusting Him, our suffering, even our suffering, will exalt Christ. You see, our world isn't into sacrifice. No, they want success in their eyes. If you conform to the world, you can't sacrifice yourself to Him. And that's why I say it's so important. You, you don't want to be like the world. You don't need to have role models in the world. There's one role model, and that's Jesus Christ. I think it's so important for us to understand that. So if you conform to the world, where do you find yourself? You find yourself being faithful to Him if you refuse to conform to the things of this world. Now, there are a couple of things in here I want you to realize that I think are very important. The first is this. Determined followers must choose. It is a difficult thing for brave people to make that choice because it's not a one-time choice. It's a choice that you make that never brings you back to where you've been before. It's a choice to put down what your desires are. It's not just a week-long commitment. It's not just saying, well, I'll be there every once in a while. It means you give your life to Christ completely and totally. You commit your whole life to Him. There's an expression that Paul uses, and it's run with endurance. And the, and the image there in the Greek is not the one of a sprinter, 100-yard dash. It's someone in the long run, the run that others are terrified of. It's not a half marathon. It's a full marathon, one after the other after the other. And God wants us to be that kind of individual. He wants us to endure. He wants us to grow as we do that because people are watching us. We're the demonstrators of who Christ really is. The world's getting dark and ugly. And, and that ugliness is shedding itself all over this world. Our young people, through the internet and through television, are exposed to more than we even imagined when we were young. Their language is nothing like the language we had. Remember, remember the expression, wash your mouth out with soap? Not done anymore. Because people think that words don't matter. But words reflect who and what you are. It's important for us to understand if we're fully committed to Christ, we're changed in every way. Not just, not just in what we, we do and say, but in what we think. The bridge between thoughts and actions is one that can never be ignored. For our thoughts yield our actions. Scripture says that if we think one thing and we do another, if we, if we try to behave like a good Christian, but our mind is somewhere else, calls us a double-minded man, a double-minded person. It means we're living in the world of God, but in our hearts we're living in the world of the flesh. And that person eventually loses it not only loses their relationship with God, but they, they lose everything. Their ability to differentiate between right and wrong, good and bad. And that's where many people are today in their life. You know, we see that in the life of the Israelites. You know, the kingdom split north and south. 
northern kingdom was very prosperous and very successful, but their sin was great. Their sin was so great that they began to, to absolutely hate anything that didn't look like them. They were very prosperous. They didn't like poor people. They didn't want to be around them. And they mistreated them. They took advantage of people. They created more poor people. And you see, as a Christian, we've got to understand that it's our responsibility to care for everybody. Now, can we change everybody's life? No. Someone asked me the other day, are reparations Christian? Not really. Because we should naturally give back to everybody if Christ were on the throne of every Christian's life, no one would do without. Now, I've had this said to me before. Well, well, you know, with poor people, you hand them something and they stay poor. They continue to want something. Now, here's the problem. God didn't call us just to give something to someone that has a need. He called us into a relationship with those people. You want to change the life of somebody that's struggling in their life to, to, to get by and, and to make things work, get involved in their life. Help them through life. Not just, don't just give them a handout. Most people give people a handout because they want to get that person away from them. And you're doing the opposite of what Jesus wants you to do. The opposite. There was a, a, a program that, that has been developed, in, and they tried it here in Selma, um, and it was a good program, but it was too complicated. Frank, you know, you, you started in that program, and I, I was frustrated with it because I said, this thing is so complicated, it's going to scare people off. It needs to be simpler. The circles of influence that we're to have should be something that comes natural to the Christian. When you sit around the table to have a meal... You ought to have people there that you love and that need you, not just people you need. We've got to break down that barrier if we want to be a soldier of the cross. We've got to change that attitude completely and totally because the northern kingdom didn't understand that. They didn't like poor people. Jeremiah 3.8 says, And I saw that... For all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Think about that. God said, I don't even want you anymore. I divorce you. He said, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, nor did she learn. You see, the southern kingdom did not commit all the atrocities that the northern kingdom did. The southern kingdom didn't sacrifice their children to Molech to get rich. They didn't steal from the poor like Israel did. The northern kingdom was taken away as the prophets told them, and there would just be a small remnant left. God was so frustrated with what they had become over the, these hundreds of years that he said, I don't want you anymore. And they were destroyed. Only a handful of people came back. Now the southern kingdom, watch this. Judah was taken away into bondage in the Babylonian captivity. They stayed there about 78 years. It took them 78 years to understand their sin. 
You realize what I'm saying? A whole generation disappeared. Sometimes we don't listen to God. America is in the hands of God. Not that we've yielded to Him, but that God is preparing for judgment on America. Do you hear me? God is preparing for judgment on America. Because we have had the greatest wealth of any nation in the history of existence. Yet we've squandered it on ourselves. People are fascinated with the super rich and what they buy and, and how they dress and where they go. Everything about them seems to in, intrigue everyone. Yet their lives fail and falter at the same rate of middle class and poor people. Wealth does not make you a better person. In fact, many times it pushes you closer to destruction. I believe with all my heart God makes some people wealthy so that they'll bless those round about them and be a blessing to the kingdom of God. But I also think God sometimes gives people wealth to test them and to prove that they're faltering and failing because their heart is in the wrong place. God wants us to bless this world and bring others into His kingdom. For when we get to heaven, nothing will really matter about where we lived or our education or, or the circles we move within. No, there'll be one question that'll be concerning to all of us. What did we do with Jesus, with his name and his life? Did we emulate it? Did we demonstrate it? Did we bring others to him? Or did we squander it? I believe it's true that many people go to church and they go home and they take off their Sunday clothes, but they also take off their Sunday attitude. And they feel that they've done their part for God. But the reality is God is watching us more closely when we're not here than when we're here. I've told you before, God doesn't listen to the words we say. He listens to the thoughts we think. And that's why it's important that we demonstrate the right kind of life. Jeremiah 3.8 says, and I saw that for all the adulteries and faithlessness of Israel. Think about that. All the adulteries and faithlessness of Israel. He didn't do a cursory glance at their sin. He looked at all of it. That means that everything you think, God is observing that. A friend of mine asked me in my church in Zebulun one time, he was a new deacon there, and he said, should I ask God to forgive me for all the times I looked at my watch and thought, boy, I, I'm hungry. I said, I don't know, was that sin? Were you distracted? He said, yeah, I was. I really was. Satan will use anything to distract us, anything. He wants to get us off cue so we don't understand what's going on. But secondly, I want you to realize this. Not only uh, do we have to choose if we're a determined follower. If we don't have a commitment that lasts, we're going to end up apathetic. It's not going to matter. And that's the most frightening place to go. You see, apathy was the first condition, the first symptom of Israel. 
When they didn't care anymore, when the the routine they went through was just humdrum and boring, when they prayed and really didn't feel anything, when they got into that routine that is oh so denominational and not Christian, they began to fall away. God sent Jeremiah to Judah to warn her not to follow in Israel's footsteps. But unfortunately, they traveled in that direction. Now, they would point at Israel and say, we're not as bad as they are. And they were right. But sin is sin with God. And anything that separates you from the will of God is evil and wrong. Jeremiah 5, 6 through 9 says this. Listen to these words. It says, Therefore a lion from the forest will slay them, and a wolf of the deserts will destroy them. A leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them will be torn to pieces because their transgressions are many. Their apostasies are numerous. What God is saying is, when you pull away from me, you're on your own. You're out in a wilderness. Each one of these animals were described, not that they would actually be attacked by these animals, but Satan, our adversary, goes about like a roaring lion. He's watching you. He's watching me. And we have to be careful where we find ourselves. Jeremiah 25, 8 and 9 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord. And I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, And I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants. I don't think you can understand the fear that's associated with that. What if the prophet stood today and said, America, you've sinned so deeply. You've gone so far away from me. You've become adulterers with the world. And therefore, I am sending China. And I'm sending Russia. And I'm sending Iran. And you will find out who God really is when you're in the storm. I'm not saying that's going to happen, and I pray that it doesn't happen. I don't want our enemies to ever overcome us. But we've drifted so far from where we once were. You know, World War II was not won by the great military strategists that were of great age, it was really won by 17, 18, and 19-year-old young men and women. Young folks that lied to get in the service because they felt like fighting against Hitler or Hirohito was the most godly thing they could do because they knew that if America was gone, the world would be gone. No longer do we have that kind of sentiment. No, no, people look on America and they see America as evil. They see our troops as despicable. They see our law enforcement in our cities and counties and states disgusting. Yet they don't understand who we're surrounded by. They don't understand how much evil wants to destroy that which is good. America needs to repent. We need to come back to God says they have defiled my sanctuary 
on the same day and have profaned my Sabbath, or when they had slaughtered their children for the idols, they entered my sanctuary on the same day to profane it. Thus they did within my house. God was so disgusted with the northern kingdom that he put them away. I don't care how many songs you sing about I'll fly away. You know what? We're here for now. Too many people get so focused on the there and then, they don't think about the here and now. God is not going to judge you for how much you believe in the sweet by and by as much as he's going to judge you in what you do right now for those who are lost and dying. And if your heart isn't broken for them, and if you don't hurt for them, there's something very wrong with you. You have lost your first love. You've drifted from him. And that's why it's so important for us to look at this and take it seriously. I remember the pastor that said that he was standing at the back door after a, a, a remarkable sermon and a woman came up and she said, oh, that sermon was just so powerful today. I can't tell you what it meant for me. I can't wait to get home and tell my next door neighbor who needs it. She missed it altogether. So often, we don't understand the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. But lastly, I want you to realize this. There's only one secret to overcome this. There's only one thing you can... There, there's one thing that Israel and Judah could have done to have ended the process of destruction. They could have renewed themselves to God. You repent and you renew. You know... People say, you know, we're not that bad. I wouldn't do those things. I don't live like they did back then. They were horrible. Do you cry over the babies that are being aborted in the womb? Does it break your heart that, that we have more and more poor people? Does it disturb you that our young people are growing up and going to college and coming out as reprobates? You know why? It's not because of the, the colleges. It's because we have slept at the wheel and we've allowed our schools to drift away from us. Most colleges and universities were founded by churches. One of the greatest schools in America, University of Chicago, was a Baptist school. Princeton University was a Presbyterian school. And these schools have drifted away. One of my favorite schools that, that I loved, I had many friends on that campus, Emory University is a Methodist school. A good friend of mine there told me one time, he's a professor of New Testament there, and he told me, he said, Preacher, don't come to this school. It'll ruin you. He said, we don't believe what we used to believe. That's true of most of our universities and colleges. We turn our kids loose and we send them off to school and we, now we can have a better vacation. But the reality is, we need to be focused on what they're doing. We need to speak with them. We need to talk with them because they are being indoctrinated and teachings that destroy God and His church. They mock our faith. 
Our children go away to school and they have a, a good, strong faith. It starts in the nursery across the street. It goes to these steps here and it goes forward from there. But when they go to college, they lose their understanding because they're challenged by evil people. We've got to do more. We've got to renew ourselves. And that, in that renewal, we'll change and we'll become who we need to be. One of my favorite authors was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Most of you know the story. He, he was a Lutheran minister and theologian, and he believed so passionately that the evil of Hitler and the Third Reich would destroy Christianity in his part of the world that he prayed, sought God's direction, and tried to kill Hitler. He ended up dying in prison just before we were able to liberate that country. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave work and home to follow him. But cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus, Christ living incarnate is only the thing that we should trust. As a friend of mine told me one day when you were in Rome and you saw a fella dragging a cross over a hill followed by Roman soldiers, you knew he wasn't coming back. He was going to die. And dear people, we need to sacrifice our lives so we can live. Otherwise, our children and our grandchildren will die. May we be people of determined faith, and may we have the mind of Christ to turn this back and to change this. It's not what's going to happen down the road or in the future. It's what's happening now that is threatening us. May God raise up a people that will believe and stand true. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us. And as we listen to your Holy Spirit, truly, we understand the needs in this day, the brokenness in this world, the sadness that people are going through. Yet they seem to crave a little bit more of the world and, and the flesh. And the truth is, they are dying. Living people are dying. And Lord, I pray right now that we would learn to listen to you and to not walk away I pray that no one will leave this building today and just say, well, it's been a good day. I've been to church. Let's move on with life. But I pray that we'll all be changed. Lord, speak to someone today who needs to make a commitment, who needs to stand up and stand out and say, yes, today I'll stand for Christ. I'll commit myself from this day forward to Him. And if you're saying that in your heart of hearts right now, it doesn't matter that I don't hear you. What matters is that God hears you. And that you look into His face and you submit to His will and His way. If there's someone here that needs to come forward and make a public profession of faith or someone that needs to come and join this church today, may that be your commitment and may you follow through and be faithful. Because it is that faithfulness that marks us as your children who are obedient. Lord, speak to someone today. Guide them, and may they have the boldness to do that which is right. 
For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.